Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Well, hello, everybody. Um, my name's Christine, and um, hello to everybody in Ballam. Woo! Good audience, hey? And people online, and maybe people living, uh, listening to the uh, podcast later on. The other two sites have their own in-person speaker today. Chris McCulloch is speaking in um, Battersea, and Rosie Pike is speaking in Westside. <coughs> And just to tell you a little bit of the story about how I come to be standing up here today, when people who've never seen me before go, who's she? Well, my husband and I, my husband Ian and I, have been part of the vineyard movement since 1998. We were members of Sugarland Vineyard in Houston, Texas, and it was fabulous. We were there for three years, and then we came back to London in 2001 and went to Southwest London Vineyard. And later there, we met Steve and Viv. In 2007, we retired to Brighton and joined Brighton Vineyard. But sadly, in February last year, the leadership of that church decided to leave the vineyard movement. Um, and we were kind of stuck. And we wanted to stay with what we know and love. So we reached out to Steve and Viv and they made us welcome here. Most Sundays um, in the mornings, you'll find us sitting in our living room in Brighton with our friend Julie, with a Brighton mob that you give a shout out to. So for Julie, hi Julie. <laughs> Could you all say hi to Julie? Hi Julie. Hi, Julie. <laughs> um, where are we? Um, yes, now every month, um, Ian and I and Julie go to the pier and we go right to the end of the pier, turn round, pray over Brighton, claim it for Jesus, and then go and eat ice cream. <laughs> and occasionally we come up and we join in in person, and it's lovely to be here. And we visited Battersea, but Westside is on our sites for our next trip. And about a month ago, I got a message from Mike asking me to talk today on 1 Peter 1, 3 to 12. My heart stopped. I panicked. I had a severe attack of imposter syndrome, and I said, I'll think about it. <laughs> but Ian and Julie encouraged me, so here I am today, and that's my story. Last week, Mike set the scene for us. This first letter from Peter is to encourage people distinctly different from the people around them. And I was wondering when I'd experienced being completely out of sync with people around me. And I remember an incident from many years ago, way before I became a Christian. A friend and I went to watch Manchester United play football. And for me, it was mainly to see George Best. <laughs> I told you it was years ago. He was gorgeous and an exceptionally good football player. But suddenly my friend and I realized 
we were at the wrong end of the stadium. We were right in the middle of the Liverpool crowd. Mike spoke about what to do in these situations when you realize you are completely different from the culture around you. He said you could run away, fit in, or embrace the position of being different. Well, we didn't run away, we'd paid for the tickets. We obviously didn't shout for Liverpool, sorry if there's any Liverpool supporters here. And we certainly didn't shout out for Manchester United either. Some things are just not worth suffering for. <laughs> but Peter's letter is written to encourage those who are consciously different from people around them, to help them find courage and steadfastness they need to follow their beliefs, to not get swayed or swamped by the culture and beliefs of others, to be faithful to Jesus, and to thrive in true grace. This letter is so encouraging to us in a post-Christian world where we can be tempted to blend in, um, to wobble, lose our faith, lose sight of what we have in store for us. But here we go. Let's do some unpacking. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 12. And in the NIV... The headline for this passage is Praise to God for a Living Hope. I love that. And I also love the fact it breaks nicely into three sections, which is perfect for a talk. I was with a very old friend on Tuesday, a true soldier of Christ and a great preacher, the Reverend David Lubbock. He's 88 now. He has problems hearing and seeing, but he still loves the Lord with a passion. And his sermons always, always had three points. They were alliterative or rhyming or memorable in some way. And I told Dave on Tuesday that I was speaking this morning and I had three points and he approved. <laughs> so the, the three sections are, first of all, verses three to five, the gift of new birth. And secondly, six to nine, hope and purpose in trial, and 10 to 12, the incomparable glory of salvation through Christ. Just saying those things makes you feel good, doesn't it? So let's read the first one. Follow on in your Bibles if you'd like to. And this is it, the gift of new birth. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter's writing this. Peter knew Jesus so well. The Jesus who called him as a simple fisherman. The Jesus he traveled with for three years, watching him looking constantly to God for wisdom and love and power. The Jesus who predicted his own death and Peter's denial. The Jesus who died and rose again. The Jesus who restored him, commissioned him, spoke to him through the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, 
and the Jesus for whom Peter was willingly martyred. And he writes to fellow believers to encourage and strengthen them in troubles and trials. We know from the Bible that Peter was very familiar with trials and troubles. We read it in the book of Acts. But here, Peter starts with praise. One commentator has written, it is the outpouring of an adoring heart that prepares and encourages the suffering, suffering soul to steadfastly continue the spiritual battle. We know praise centers us and gives us a true perspective. We know it strengthens us and opens us up to God's love. Praise dims the things of earth, as the song goes, in the light of his glory and grace. And if Peter, who knows Jesus so well, who knows troubles so well, starts his letter of encouragement with praise, what about me? It started me wondering about my praise life. How good is it really? Well, could do better is the quick reply. And could do better for me and could do better for God because he is worthy of praise. The slow reply is, I'm not going to beat myself up about this, but I am drawn to do something about it. And know that for me, spending time in praise and adoration will bring me closer to God. It will help me thrive and flourish in peace and joy. It's a bit of a no-brainer, really, isn't it? In times of trouble and pain, spend time looking to God, and praise is a natural consequence. So in the modern vernacular... I'm going to declutter and repurpose my praise life. So that's for me. If, if you ever do that, would you let me know how you get on? I'd love to hear it. Peter praises God for his mercy. And I've got a quote here from Spurgeon. It is from the mercy of God that all our hopes begin. Did you know our very own Mike Day has written a commentary on 1 Peter to help us with this series? I've got some quotes. <laughs> God has revealed himself in history as a merciful God. This mercy has been fully demonstrated in the sending of his son, Jesus. And here's the good stuff, folks. Jesus is mercy in the flesh. Oh. God has hand-delivered his great mercy to his creation, showing that he is indeed the father of mercies. Good stuff, Mike. Peter thanks God for his great mercy for this gift of new birth. Hear that word gift, pure gift. We remind ourselves there is nothing we can do to earn, deserve, or make this happen. And Peter thanks God for this gift to us. He has given us new birth. He includes himself. Peter was indeed a new person after Jesus' resurrection. He tasted God's rich mercy. It's so true for him and so true for us. 
And Peter thanks God for the living hope we have because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Without Christ's resurrection, death is not conquered and our lives are not eternal. It's only because of Jesus' resurrection that we have new life. Without resurrection, we have no hope. With Jesus' resurrection, we have the living hope. We need to grasp hold of this every day for strength and encouragement. In fact, that's so good, I'm going to repeat myself. And it's worth repeating. Our new birth is the life-changing gift that the resurrection of Jesus brings us. Jesus died and rose to life again. He conquered death. He is alive. So our hope is alive. We have eternal life. Jesus is our living hope. Now, James in 2.23 said, Abraham was a friend of God. And God gave the land of Canaan as his inheritance. And it was beautiful. But then it got spoiled. Israel's enemies came and conquered and defiled it. In contrast, our inheritance, our living hope is different. Peter says it can never perish, spoil, or fade. And what's more, it's kept guarded in heaven by God himself. This is his promise to us. This is our stability and our security. The inheritance is the treasure of God's kingdom, the blessing of full redemption, eternal joy awaiting the church in glory. And when do we get our inheritance? Well, now and not yet. We already have the new birth, but the fullness of our inheritance will be revealed when God fulfills his salvation in the last days, when Jesus returns in glory and we rise with him. Bit of a hallelujah there, isn't it? Oh. Second part, hope and purpose in trial. In this, you all greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You can almost hear the temperature dropping, can't you? Grief, all kinds of trials. Lee spoke so movingly a couple of weeks ago about believers he met in Iran. Their very lives are in danger. Most Western Christians don't have those fears yet. Though as Ian frequently warns us, things could change. 
Last week, Mike spoke about the exiles, Peter's readers, suffering unofficial social ostracism. And for most of us in the West, that's what we suffer. Bless you if you are being persecuted beyond that. And as Steve reminded us, let's keep praying for our brothers and sisters around the world. Other speakers later in the series will tell us more about suffering, but I just want to make a couple of points here. I find that troubles are like buses. I don't get any for ages, and then a whole lot come at once. <laughs> they feel random, pointless. It can feel as though God has left the building, or at very least, given up loving me and caring for me. But none of this is true. God allows these troubles to strengthen us, to get rid of floppy habits and beliefs, to firm up the true, right, and noble bits. So there is a point in them. Jesus told us we would have troubles in this world, but then said he'd overcome the world. That's John 16, 33. So when trials come, we can change our, our perspective and look at them in a different way. Not as a punishment or a reflection of God's lack of love, but a way of drawing us and keeping us close to him. They're a reminder we can trust him to keep his promises, a way to keep our faith and hope bright in bright shining purity. Now, when Chris and Rosie and I were talking about this before, I had a picture of troubles being a little bit like a holy Brillo pad. And they scrub away all of the dross and they reveal the bright, shining stuff underneath. So instead of running away or gritting our teeth, we can view them as a help, a gift almost. And in addition, others may see how we deal with our troubles and wonder about our God who can inspire us to keep us going. Did you notice how the Queen's faith was mentioned so often last weekend? And I'm hoping that people get to thinking about the God who inspires her to keep going. And in the great scheme of things, and this is a great scheme of things, these troubles are small, insignificant in comparison with the glory that is to come. When Thomas was able to see Jesus, the risen Jesus, touch his scars, feel his wounds, he was able to say, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We're blessed. You, me, my friend Sue. Ian and I met her on an alpha course and every so often she pops back into our lives with a question. And one day she was wondering about prayer. She didn't think she was very good at it. She told us she reads her Bible every day, asks God to bless her family, and then can't think of anything else to say. So I said to her, well, what do you do? And she said, 
Oh, I just sit there and think about Jesus and love him. I told her I thought Jesus would be blessed by her prayers. And she has that inexpressible and glorious joy that Peter talks about. And this last Wednesday night, we were talking to Kelly in Life Group. And if you want an example of joy, you need to ask her about her Jesus hugs. Exceptional. So keep looking at your troubles in the light of what's to come. Keep close to Jesus and get as much of that glorious joy that you can hold on to at any one time. Then, when the Holy Spirit, sorry, then ask the Holy Spirit, that's better. He'll tell you when to share it and with whom, and then stand back and watch him do kingdom work. Rosie um, from Westside sent me this, this YouTube. Can you play it for us? <laughs> she said, it's a video of what came to mind when she pondered the tone of the passage, a combination of Peter's astonished joy, being held fast to our living hope, and the winds of suffering rocking us. Gorgeous guy. So, third part. The incomparable glory of salvation through Christ. I'm just going to take a drink. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, and even angels long to look into these things. So we're coming into the home straight now. That reminds me, did anybody watch the Queen's Thanksgiving service last, oh, last weekend? Um, the worship was soul-restoring, and I'm going to have another look at that. But the sermon by the Archbishop of York had a racing theme at the surface and the love of Jesus upholding and undergirding it all the way through. He did a brilliant job. And these prophets of old did a brilliant job too. They searched intently and with the greatest of care. They were prompted, burdened, excited, inspired to search and discover. There will be a suffering Messiah, and after the suffering, he would be raised to glory. And in his second letter, Peter said, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Do you know people who seem to expend all their energies serving others? 
I know my mum did in our family. I'm not sure she realised she was doing a godly thing serving us, but she was his hands and feet serving here on earth. And these prophets serve us. God wanted us to know his plans and promises for what's ahead. The prophets carried out his work, searching creation, listening to him, writing scriptures so that we would all know what's ahead of us. One commentary I read said, Christ was speaking about himself through the mouths of the prophets, announcing his own coming, his suffering, his death, resurrection, and ascension. They weren't serving themselves, they're serving us. And following on from them, there are those who read the scriptures and preach the gospel through the Holy Spirit so we can come into the kingdom. Praise God for the prophets and also for the gospel preachers who show us the way. Ian is my evangelist and I thank God for him. And what an astonishing last sentence. Not that Ian's my evangelist, <laughs> but that angels long to look into this. You would think that angels would be very familiar with glory. They're surrounded by it day in, day out for eternity. But Peter tells us that the glory ahead of us is so rich and so full that the very angels admire it. He uses a Greek word, which means to stoop down and to look intently. How does that make you feel? Your future, my future, gives angels FOMO, fear of missing out. <laughs> Blows my mind away. So what? I believe every talk should have a so what, a consequence, a what's in it for me, a highlight, something to do. And I believe for many of you, God has put something on your heart today. Something he wants you to do in your life as an exile. Have a think either now or when you get home. What is it he wants me to do? When should I start? How long should I keep going? Could the band come back, please? There will be an opportunity for a prayer at the end before you leave. And you might want to make a promise to God and to yourself that will give you the strength and steadfastness to be a holy presence to the people around you. But for me today, this has been about praise, perspective, persistence. I finally got my three points. Woohoo! And my prayer, as Peter's, is grace and peace in abundance for you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.